Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. Watch and listen to Higher Learning where we dissect the biggest topics in black entertainment, politics, and sports. Twice a week, we react to the most important and timely conversations, often inviting guests to offer unique perspectives. Listen to Higher Learning free only on Spotify. We were like two 70s rock bands that just, we would tour the same stadiums, <laughs> yeah. see each other, like maybe in passing on a bus. Not That's really about in it. competition with each other, but no. knew the other one was out there and they did their thing and we, we did our thing. Yeah. Well, I remember, so my mine started May 2007 and yours yeah. started two years after. Right. You were definitely ahead of the game, but it was because of yours. Like my, my producer, Brendan, was a fan of yours and he was oh. listening to yours like a year before we started. So when we had the opportunity, when it became an idea to do one, you know, the, you were in his head. The town, He knew oh, we could nice do thing. it. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I, yeah. The only reason I brought up the dates was it took me like two years to even figure out what the hell to do with it. Because initially I would come on and I would just talk NBA with Mark Stein. And then I had Corolla on a couple of times. And then after about a year and a half, it was like, this is cool. Yeah. And as in 2009 was really when I started tapping into the potential of having weird celebrity guests and right. breaking down the JFK assassination, all this stuff. You came on, Corolla came on, and then all of a sudden, all of us started getting great guests. Well, didn't Corolla and that's come? That's when I got competitive a little bit. Oh yeah, didn't well, Corolla it was just come? Like, oh shit, you know, Marin got that guy. Damn yeah. it! I guess I did that too. Yeah. And then when and then you sort of accept it, and then you realize like, well, we're gonna have some of the same guests, and then you sort of like, well, how how'd it go with him? <laughs> yeah. Wait. <laughs> The thing is, our approaches were so different. I know, exactly. And I, you didn't listen to me, did you? I didn't listen to you. No, I, I listened to a couple. I, I listened to maybe two or three. I listened to the famous CK one. Oh, yeah. But like, so I interviewed Louie a couple times, and it was it was great, but my interview was completely different than yours. You're coming at it from like, you were a peer, and you had right. all this history, and mine yeah. was just, I'm a comedy nerd trying right. to find out. Yeah, you were yeah. actually a yeah. comic. You grew up with a lot of these guys. That's right. And I knew a lot of the people. Yeah. And that, but now I do more interviews like that. Yeah. Where I have, you know, like I get pitched people and I'm like, well, that would be interesting. Or else uh, I think like, I, I would love to talk to Randy Newman. Like yeah. Randy Newman, like, cause I'm a fan and I don't know how old are you? I think I'm older than you. I'm only four. I'm 48. Yeah. I'm 54. I like to say only 48. Right. But so we probably <laughs> like some of the same music and stuff. Oh yeah. So like when I get an opportunity to interview some of these old guys, I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Those Just are the best ones. Yeah. I like the ones. I've done that sometimes with basketball too. I nerd out, have some old school basketball dude who's, just start talking about the 70s. And oh, yeah. I'm not even sure anyone cares, but. Um, I like, interviewed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and I don't know nothing about basketball. So I was jealous of that one because he, he doesn't he, like me. He doesn't? No. He seems like kind of a, a, a bit of a. I'm a Celtics fan. A di- I, I might <laughs> have taken some it? shots at him. Yeah, oh, really? I, I, might, I might have made some jokes. Well, it's funny. I didn't talk he's, about basketball at all. He's I know, a very he's, thoughtful he's, guy. He's one of the smartest athletes we've ever had. Yeah. That's why I, I, when you had him on, I saw that. I was like, ah. Well, that, that well, was a good that one. Sounds like you, you brought that on yourself. I know it's my fault. Well, you probably had a couple people <laughs> won't come on yours, right? <laughs> Is there? Uh, I, not that I, I, not that I know of, because of personal reasons, right? Do you, you know, I think there are people that won't come on mine because they don't want, they don't want to. There was a wild air after the Louis episodes, yeah. where, where people are like, "Do I have to cry? I don't want to have to cry." Right. Like, and that was never the case, but I think some people began to be afraid to come on because they didn't want to get that personal. And, right. I, and I'll roll with the punches. I don't need it to be that personal at all. But well, it just, there were people who were nervous about the hour long uh, personal interview. Well, sometimes you'll, I'm sure you've, you've tried to do those 
and the guest just wasn't ready to go there. Well, yeah, but you can right? feel that. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm always going to be curious about certain things, right? Yeah. So if it gets there, it gets there. Like if there's a moment where I'm like, okay, I'll follow that up and see if that gets us somewhere. It's not, it's not a plan in my head, but you could just feel like, well, that seems like there's some heat there or some juice there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm not looking to sandbag anybody, but sometimes people just they they don't know they want to talk and they surprise themselves when they do. Yeah. You know, I had we must have Rapperport on here, right? Oh my God. I mean, Rapport's like a jukebox. You just put A6, he's just off, he's gone. It's Those great. are the best guests. Yeah, so you yeah. don't have to do but the he's work. always a guy, they'll start talking. He's like, I don't know why I'm saying this. Yeah. That's always, that's always good. Yeah. yeah. I found. You know, it took a while. A lot originally, I was doing a lot of them on the phone, which is a yeah. totally different vibe. Never did it. Yeah, and then when we built the Grantland Studio, like 2012, they started coming in. Yeah, and I just felt like the whole format was different. You can read off people; you're not worried about oh, interrupting yeah. them. You can read the eye contact, the body yeah. language. Yeah, it's all much that better. stuff. It was, Never did any phone. Never did any long form phoners. I won't do them anymore. Like we'll get offered people, and it's like they gotta, they have to come here now. Yeah, I'll do like short ones years. sometimes yeah. if they're friends who need a plug. Occasionally, I'll get on the phone for that, but nah, never, never the big ones. How long did it take you to figure out what the actual format of the pod was? Because I mean, we should give a little background. I don't know who doesn't know this story at this point, but you're yeah. on Air America. Right. Which was, was an idea that maybe 12 years before it's time. Sure, maybe. I mean, or now in 2017, I think Air America's- It could have could have worked <laughs> now. <laughs> uh -huh. Maybe. We thought it would work during Bush, though. You know, so yeah, like, who knows? Uh, I mean, there's definitely a lot more um, outlets now and people and people doing, you know, both sides of the political spectrum fairly effectively with uh, podcasts and whatnot. Were you in radio because your comedy career wasn't going the way you thought it would go or you were just fascinated by the medium? I'd never done it. And uh, I was, I just moved to LA and I, I just had been in a deal with Fox TV to write a show. It didn't get picked up. So I'm sort of sitting out here in a new house with a woman I was with at the time. And I got asked to do this thing. And I, you know, and I was angry enough, though not really that educated about politics, but enough of an angry guy and, and certainly yeah. to the left of things to want to be involved in something. And I, they were putting together this radio network. And I don't know, they, at that time, there was money there. It was more money than I'd ever made in television or any other place. And there was an opportunity to do something new. I remember when Corolla got fired. I've, I've been buddies. I worked with Corolla on Jimmy's show. And uh -huh. We've been friends all the time. And, you know, I was, he was coming on my podcast and I could see his wheels turning with it. He was oh, like, yeah. oh, so all we do is talk for an hour and then it goes out in the world and people hear it. And really the moment he got fired, he was like, I think, I think I can do this podcasting and I think I can get paid for it and it could be my career. I'm sure. When did you hit that point? Well, we, well, that was because he had the radio behind him all those years of radio. Right. Like I was coming off of, I'd done a bit of radio and then by the time when I was when we started this, it was like the last version of Air America. They they weren't had they had very few shows yeah. on the air. There was kind of a ragtag bunch of people involved, uh, and we were doing a streaming video show there. Me and Sam oh, Cedar. Wow. Yeah, it was. We pitched it, and I needed money. I was in the middle of a divorce, and uh, I was not in a good place. So they they stepped up with the money. They gave me enough money up front to to shut the divorce down. And it lasted about a year. Nobody watched it. We couldn't get people to watch us on it's, streaming video. That, that idea was five years too early. Yeah, it's still yeah. a little early in a way. <laughs> five years yeah, early now. right now. Yeah. yeah. 
And and then we were just, we were fired and they didn't kick us out of the building. And I said, well, what are these podcasts? I know Crow is doing one. I know Kevin Smith's doing one. I know uh, guys I know, like uh, like uh, Jimmy Dore. And, A couple uh, of comedians yeah, that started and, dipping uh, into it, yeah. And Jim uh, uh, Pardo. And I didn't know what they were or anything, but I'm like, why can't we do that? Did you envision a world where you were going to get paid? No, no. Brendan and I, we had been working with him since he was like 24 at the original Air America. Yeah. And he came back in the fold after he'd been at Sirius for a year. He's a real radio production whiz. One of the, he's, he's really the, the brightest guy I know. And, and him and I, I said, can you figure out how to put this stuff up? And the only thing we knew is we were going to put them up Monday and Thursday consistently because uh -huh. we, we knew we needed it to be consistent to build. So when did the ad thing start happening for you? Well, we carried over- Because uh, I remember at ESPN, I was going crazy about them not none being of us able knew. to monetize the pod at yeah, all. No, no one knew how to do it. Yeah. And, and there was only a couple of options. You could either, you, you know, have a, like closed off, like put a paywall up. Yeah. But then you can't build your audience. You, you, and your it's, audience is going backwards. Yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't do nothing. And then we didn't really have any concept. And for the first year or so, the shows were different. The first few we did in the hijacked studio at, at Air America after hours. Yeah. And there were segments. There was the, the general idea of WTF was that that would be a theme of the show. You, oh, know, you, that had, was, you had more segments back then. Sure. There, there, was, there was like some sort, some segments were evolving. There were multiple guests. There were sometimes people would hang out with me in the studio. The first 12 or 15, yeah. there's a, me and this guy, Matthew. Like it was like radio, a little closer to radio. And then once I got to LA, the interview started happening and we had a third segment. We had a part, you know, there was a last guest that was usually a improv actor pretending to be somebody who's like a Kaufman-esque kind of like, is it real? Is it not? Oh, guest. interesting. Yeah. yeah. We did a lot of those. And then it kind of just became this single this person playboy interview. interview. Yeah. And, uh, but the monetization, we carried over this coffee company that, that sponsored our, our uh, streaming video show for free coffee. And they were the first sponsor we had. And they would send me coffee and like, you know, a few hundred bucks a month. But then like when, when I started using them, I blew their business up. Like, you know, it became clear to us, me and Brendan, that we could make money yeah. with advertising if somebody could, you know, if we could figure out how to do it. Yeah. Because I started plugging this coffee company with the, pow, I just shit my pants. I made up this slogan. Yeah. They didn't like it. But it changed your entire business. Wow. Like their 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 online business just blew up. What was the coffee company? Justcoffee.coop. It's in Madison. Okay. They're roasters, kind of organic uh, or, or free trade roasters. Um, and we did it on Air America when we did the streaming show. We did it for coffee. We didn't even do it for money. They'd send us coffee and we were like, great. I remember, so I signed a new deal with ESPN in the beginning of 07 and I started doing the pod like four months later. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, it's cool. It's going well. But I didn't know if it was going well. And I had no idea it was monetizable in any way. And then I remember about a year and a half in, maybe even a year in, yeah, they sold the podcast, this ESPN channel they'd done on Sirius. And all of a sudden my podcast was part of that channel and they're promoting it in the press release. And I'm like- On Sirius? Yeah, and Sirius, this is way, we're talking 09. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second, you guys- now you're promoting this podcast. You so, so I was like, I want to get paid for this. So then we started that and then it eventually evolved. I remember I had a presenting sponsor, but the whole mid-roll, like, you know, that doing mid-rolls, pre-rolls, that really was until 12, 13. That's when you started doing them, right? Well, we started doing, well, we had, we had sponsors that we would get. We were using some, you know, Brendan knows better than me, but we were using some terrestrial 
agencies. Yeah. And we were getting like Adam and Eve. Audible. Oh, yeah. I remember Corolla had a couple. Sure. Corolla had a couple of shaky ones. Yeah, we tried to vet as possible. We yeah. didn't get into much trouble. We got in just, we got out just under the wire of that yeah. DraftKings thing. That, you know. Yeah. And also, it <laughs> was funny. What was that? You know, we we did our last ad for Chipotle uh, <laughs> right right before the the, the disease. <laughs> yeah. And there, that point, the tagline was like, food without question. Yeah. Like, now it's like, I think there's some questions. <laughs> I think we have some now. <laughs> But we, but just coincidentally, on both of those, we were done with the run. We haven't gotten into too much uh, into any real trouble with with bad advertisers. There's been a couple. There have been times back in the day where, like, they wanted to do. They wanted us to man uh, the man great. Remember that thing? No, I think that's what it was called. Man great, something like that. It was like uh, you, it was this piece you put on a grill that on the top to make better steaks. Okay. And, you know, Corolla had it and, you know, some of the dude shows had it. And they were like, you got to do it. And I'm like, I told Brenda, I don't think we can sell this. I don't think this is my my people. My, my guys Sorry. are not yeah. grillers necessarily, <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm sure there's a few, but right. I don't think we can move it. And the guy was, like, insistent, you know. He's like, just do it. Here's the money. And we ran, like, one ad and the guy freaked out. Like, I didn't sell anything. And we were like, just take the money back, dude. We, we, but now, you know, with, with mid-roll and with, but we were using, like I said, some of the people that were still dealing with terrestrial. And now it, I think the whole business must have shifted. Yeah, we're, the we're last three, four years. Uh, mid-roll now. We are. From the beginning. Yeah. Uh, that was the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about, when did people start inviting themselves on the podcast? Like, uh, like about a year in? People like, what do you mean? I don't know, guests, or you get PR people like, hey, so-and-so's got a new movie coming up. They'd love well, to come on. It was still pretty much, you know, people pitching to us and to me directly. You know, P, yeah, I mean, PR started coming around, I guess. Uh, I don't know what year that was, but it felt like it was still friends of friends for a good few years. And then we started working with bookers. So that, you know, right. just that to, easier. yeah, just because then we could reach out easier and then we could get pitched people easier because I sort of tap out. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know everybody, you know, and, you know, a friend of a friend, three way, three friends away. It's harder to get people. Like, well, you had you everyone someone, from your generation, right? That's right. And the older generation. Your and generation then, was a great generation. It was. Of uh, comedians. I yep. mean, it was really all types of. Yeah. And because I didn't everybody. make it with all those guys, uh, you know, I knew the younger generation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was still trying to cut my teeth with, with the one behind us. So I knew all those guys. Well, so let's talk about those generations. Yeah. So you're the generation. You're like. It's me, Coming Louis, into it, late 80s, Attell, early 90s. Silverman. Stewart's in there? Stewart, yeah. But, yeah, he was Was pretty, he a little earlier? Maybe not not much earlier, but he was very successful pretty quickly. Right. Like, you know, he did MTV a few show. years. Yeah. But then he was always on TV with MTV, and then he went to, uh, you know, he had his own show on, on what was it? Where was it before? It was Arsenio, where he took that slot, where they tried him in that slot. Yeah, He yeah. had the MTV show. Then he had the network show on Fox, I guess it was, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, and then he went to the Daily Show. Colin yeah. Quinn's in that generation? Oh, uh, he's a little older. A little older? Yeah, Colin Quinn's like uh, the Dennis Leary, uh, Colin Quinn. Bill um, Maher? Bill Maher. Is he Maher. in that one? He might be a little older than them. It gets a little foggy with the Seinfeld. I need a family tree that just explains all these branches. I think that branches. Colin and Bill, they would probably be in the tail end of the Seinfeld era of those guys and Larry too, because they're they're probably about 
yeah, six years older than me. Louis's a little younger than me. So Patel's around my age. Your era was basically do stand up for four or five years. You're going to hit and they're going to offer you a sitcom. Were you in that no, era? No, that was never, still too early. There's never four or five years. You'd get deals back in the day. Like I, I started doing stand up in 88 and then professionally. Like I did about a year before that kicking around. Then I started doing one-nighters in 88. Yeah. You know, just running around doing, you know, one-night gigs in New England, because that's where I started in Boston, really. That's oh, where I started working. That's where I'm from. Sure, man. Yeah. Yeah, I used to do Great. all those clubs. A lot of people, that was like where they where they made their bones. Yeah, back Bean in the town. day, I was, yeah, I was. I went to college in Boston, I went to LA, got screwed up on drugs, came back to Boston, was in the WBCN Comedy Riot. Oh, wow. In 1988, came in second. Who beat to you? To Sue McGinnis. And, uh, and then I started working though. Barry Katz had a booking agency, uh, Boston Comedy Company. Yeah. And there were three, three or four companies that had one-nighters all over New England. So that was the deal. You take, you know, you get it. If you had a half hour, you could open. If you had 45 minutes, they'd close you. But it's usually you and another guy driving anywhere from a half hour to five hours you know, to do a two-man show yeah. at a bar or a bowling alley or a hotel. In, Mas- was- in deep Massachusetts. Oh, deep Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, they'll, Maine, They'll give Rhode you their Island. opinion in Massachusetts. Hmm? They'll give you the, your, their opinion in Massachusetts. Dude, the fact that they I- have, they, They'll offer it. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You suck. Hey. Yeah. hey what the- You suck. <laughs> The fact that I, me of all people, this neurotic, aggravated Jewish kid was running around New England opening, yeah. you know, going up cold. Oh, my God. Like, it was like, you know, the bowling alley. Get, we used to do a place. I remember him. I remember the gigs. There was there was all the Knicks, right? You, you know, remember Knicks? Oh, yeah. Knicks downtown. Knicks Comedy Club. Yeah. That was Knicks. a big disco in the early 80s, by the way. Late 70s, early 80s. Right. And then yeah. it, I think it's a, it might be a disco again. I think it, was, <laughs> it came uh, back. Yeah. yeah. No, it was Knicks Comedy Stop downtown then yeah. they got one in saugus what was the one in faneuil hall that's the comedy connection comedy but that connection. came later that you know, came the later original connection was right down the street from nicks yeah yeah right there and then there the- was the one on route one saugus, know, that's yeah, yeah, the- but there's also uh the tower of com at the tower of pizza there's yeah. a giggles comedy club <laughs> giggles. that mike clock books <laughs> right. lenny clock's brother mike has got giggles on route one in saugus <laughs> at the tower of pizza lenny's in the marathon movie and has like 10 scenes and like 30 lines. He's good. Yeah, he's good in it. Does he play a cop? No, he plays uh, like a father-in-law or oh, like really? an uncle. Like he's, yeah, he's in the family. Well, you know, he's good. You know, if we need a guy who sounds like he's from Boston. Yeah, he's, he's like the go-to guy. He's a good actor. His brother's a nice guy. Where'd you live when you lived in Boston? I lived a lot of places. I went Spencer to BU. Around, like downtown? I lived, um... I lived on uh, Carlton Street in Brookline, just over the Boston border, okay. like right, like right past Park Drive, yeah, off of Beacon. Uh, and then I lived for a couple of years in Somerville, Davis Square, in an attic Davis for a while. Square. Yeah, before it was anything, it was then still it, pretty filthy. I was living in Boston in the '90s when Davis Square was starting to become a thing. I was there when they opened Red Bones, but that was all Red Bones. It was like, but hey, barbecue. Whoa, yeah. really? Where? Yeah. Karen, I knew yeah. Karen. And was it her husband or the boyfriend's name, Bob? That I remember when they opened that place, but that was it. It yeah. was still like just Dunkin' Donuts and yeah. the weird cafeteria and that strange restaurant that opened at two in the morning. They, you know, uh, Denny, what was it called? Denny and Chips or something weird. But you, you must have been back to Boston the last couple of years, right? It's totally different. 
I, there's I, a million I play, restaurants. Yeah, I played the connection. I played at the Wilbur. Yeah, there's all kinds of good stuff there. When did you? So when you're doing stand up, you'll disappear for a while, then you'll start doing it again. Like, what's your schedule? No, with I'm that? always doing stand up. Always. Yeah, I, it's it's what I am really. Because so. you started acting the last four years. You had your own show. Then right. You, this but Netflix like, show, which was excellent, by the way, I really oh, like. Well, you like it? Yeah. You like oh, the it's really good. I think you know what wrestling fans like it, which is like the best we can hope for. Well, if if it passes their test, we're good. And the lead is fantastic. She, who, Allison? I, yeah. I love her. I don't, I think that's a really hard part. It's really and hard, dude. You be- almost have to strip yourself of the way somebody would normally think, well, I got to look good. And she just doesn't care. She's but to all be, in. to be ambitious, earnest, and desperate and still be charming. Right. It's hard, dude. Yeah, it's and not supposed to be a likable character. No, it, it, very close. Yeah. And, uh, and she is. And it's great. I love working with her. I like working with all of them. So that one's coming back, right? Yeah, we start shooting in a couple of weeks. Uh, on the 16th, I think. The guy you played in that, mm. based on a real guy? Not really. Or not, you not just kind of made him up? Because like when they told me, you know, I got the part. It was sort of, I was surprised. I, I wasn't really, I, I was not half-assing the audition, but I didn't think it, yeah, I, I didn't care one way or the other. Yeah. But I knew I could play that guy. Yeah. And I sent in a, like a, we did a video on my phone. And I got cast off a video we did on my phone. Um. But I was told that the that my character didn't know anything about wrestling. So I did not watch the documentary on the original Glow. And I didn't do any real research on wrestling. I just, you know, I chose what I wore or how I was going to, you know, I got to get up. I knew how I want, what I wanted to smoke, how I wanted to smoke, how I wanted to do coke, you know. <laughs> right. Because the guy's got coke problem. And I told yeah. it was funny because I told the showrunners, uh, Carly, Mensch, and Liz, Flayhive, Flayhive, I call her name is why is it so difficult? But I went up to them. I'm like, look, I know how this guy does coke. He doesn't use vials. He he does it strictly out of a bindle that he's made out of the corner of a magazine. Like uh, he does it with a key or a pen top. There's no artifice, man. This guy is just a user. It's part of his life. It's like food. Yeah. Just that's how I want to do it. And they both just sit there. They looked at me for a second. And they went, we're so glad you're here. Because <laughs> I knew I did coke like that. So I'm like, I know how this guy does it. Jesus. So I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know it wasn't based on a guy. I did recently watch the Glow documentary. So I know there, there's a guy, it's sort of amalgamation of a couple of guys, but I just made it my own. And people always say, like, he's doing this guy, or he's doing that. I, mean, I didn't do anybody. I didn't right. I didn't study anybody. Was it did you other than that, like that stuff, did were you thinking this is a type of character I've never played before. I want to create this type of person, or you just kind of meandered. And well, I knew he was, was like I'm, I'm no genius actor, so I knew he was somebody within my wheelhouse of of experience. But he's also like a scumbag, though. He's a scumbag, a scumbag, but like you know, I knew that. But he's also a uh, a loser. Yeah. So if somebody's a loser, uh, they're they're the intensity of their scumbaggery is is sort of undermined a bit. Like, you know, he may be a scumbag, but the thing is, he's his own worst enemy. Yeah. You know, he, you know, he's got problems, you know, he's not, you know, he's not really a hater. Yeah. Right. So, so I just saw him as sort of this kind of this, this want, this guy that, that almost had something and just, it's always right out of his reach. And he's a little, he's not necessarily bitter because he's not that self-aware. He thinks he's just close. He's just on the cusp of doing the next genius thing. But he's unbelievably blunt, which right. 
actually most of the time is not endearing, but for some reason with this particular guy, it actually makes him kind of endearing. He's just like, here's what I think. Here's right, my with the women. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that because of the time period, I, you know, I would not say he's not sexist. Oh, he's, but yeah. that's, He's he in the is. 1980s. Like, right. who, of course, right. he's going to be that way. But, but like, I think he he tends to instinctively show up for the women. Calls it like it is. Calls it like it is and is a little mean yeah. and a little off, has no self-awareness. But I would say he's a lot mean. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my barometer's <laughs> screwed up. <laughs> you know, like I just, like, I used to do a joke about that. That my my I don't remember which girlfriend or wife it was about yelling. Yeah, and I I, I would say like I, I don't yell. I think she has tonal issues. <laughs> she get here. Yeah, yeah, it's a problem. I always you... say that to my wife. I'm like, you just have small ears. You yeah, can't. You can't. It's not. Hey, yeah, I'm not yelling. I'm not mumbling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wait. So you're doing that show? Yeah, but I always do stand up. I do stand up at. Uh... Why did you stop doing the IFC show? Cause it just, I didn't know where else we could go. You know, it, it was like, we had a lot of creative freedom there, but because no one really watches the network and there's not a lot of ratings or ad dollars, you know, in the balance that they were more than willing to keep making the show. But if you can't even get a nice bump, even for production, right. I'm not even talking about me. Yeah. Like if by the fourth season, we don't know if we can get a song we want because we don't have the money. Right. It's sort of, it becomes sort of like, well, what do you know? So it, that idea, if you had waited like two years and then the whole Netflix, Amazon oh. era had come, yeah. that's a different show with a different budget. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I, I don't really think about it like that. I think we did like a, a great four seasons. Yeah, I but think you know we what told I mean, the story. Though. Yeah. It was yeah. Like all of a sudden an idea like that, that's what everybody seems if they to be searching well, for. Yeah, but I don't know if they would have bought it. You know, I don't know where I would have been. You know, these things all hinge on the timing. True. You know, it's like- you know, that thing was a, a, a hard, not an easy sell. We took it to a lot of different places. My life at that time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and IFC was like, yeah, great. This sounds great. And like I said, they got out of the way. But once we made it at, a, you know, a very reasonable budget, their their whole business model is like, oh, good. We'll keep doing that. It's like, yeah, but, but you know, we have to cut scenes <laughs> right. because we can't go two blocks. Yeah. Yeah, it's too much money. We got, you know, we wanted to do a scene at a bus station. Now it's like, can't you do it in the front yard? I guess. <laughs> you know, like we can rework it. Right. You know, it's just, it, it, the, at the very least, you, sh you should be awarded enough money to to increase your production value. I agree. And and that, that didn't seem like that was going to happen. Your favorite credit of mine is Almost Famous, <laughs> which you yeah. noticed when you walked in. I have this fake album that... Yeah. You also have. I do. I have um, some of the- One of the, the many things we've shared in life. But, yeah, uh, the swag. But yeah, you play, for people who don't know out there, you play the angry-, <laughs> angry promoter. The ang right? You're angry promoter. I don't yeah. even think you have a name, right? And yeah. You're just angry promoter. It's another stretch. Another stretch. <laughs> it's the uh, yeah. who wants to buy a gate scene after Russell Hammond gets electrocuted. That's right. But I was Lock saying to you- gates. I was saying to you, that's like, you know, one of my five- we have a, a podcast actually that I'm one of the hosts of called The Rewatchables that we spun off where we just kind of yeah. movies that are on all the time just kind of dive in. So we like speed, those yeah. type of movies, I would scream, watch that. but then mm. the almost famous types yeah. and and almost famous is just one of those for yeah. whatever reason you could jump in at the twenty minute mark, at the hour mark. Sure, at, if you love even the, the last movie. thirty minutes, yeah, yeah, it's doesn't just matter. Like, it's relieving. You know, yeah. you're sort of like, Oh, this is gonna be nice. I yeah. know. I already know what happened. And yeah, this is a sweet oh, part. This part. Yeah, Goodfellas is another one. Goodfellas is one of the all-timers yeah. for that. But that's what I was, you know, uh, that's what I was saying uh, before we got on the mics was like, that's why I don't 
Like, I still flip around cable for that reason. I do, too. A lot of times you're slim pickings, but sometimes you're like, oh, I'll watch that. Where's it at? All I right. have I have every movie channel. Yeah. I love scrolling through the movie channels yeah. and being like, oh, yeah. Silent Rage with Chuck Norris. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're like a I'm movie in. DJ. Yeah. You know, you're just like, doing a mix. I like going <laughs> I don't, this new generation, like my my kids, yeah. I have a 12-year-old, nine-year-old, and they're, you know, they don't even have, have a concept of channels yeah they're just on amazon and youtube and a lot of people my age it. and your age are doing that they're they're what do you call it cutting the cord, the cord cutters yeah yeah that's I, what's killing uh what the, eventually going to kill the espns of the world unless you they, think so yeah unless they what? figure out to, how to change their model what do you mean where do they get the sports when they cut the cord so on what happened well so espn pays like do you watch espn uh-uh. so you're paying seven dollars for it anyway because you have cable right that's that's how they have billions and billions of dollars because people are paying for ESPN even if they don't watch it. Well, I don't think I need to take awesome, a stand. No, I don't think you're fine. <laughs> yeah, like, but they have this awesome <laughs> business model where just everybody paid for ESPN whether you paid for it or not, or you, whether you watched it or not. And now this new model is like my nephew Kyle over here. Yeah. He's just like, hey, I pay for Netflix. Right. And I pay for HBO and I get that. And he just picks his three things. He doesn't have cable. On computer. Yeah, he's on his computer or his iPad what about or the whatever. Apple TV, do the Apple TV. Apple TV, Roku. That's that makes Xbox. it easier. Yeah, the Xbox or the PlayStation. Right, then you can just watch. But like, I watch MSNBC, you know, for news. So that's the question: is where does this go? And is our generation holding on to this model that really we really liked? But this, as his generation gets older, they're just going to move that model out. I still like. I have this weird comfort thing in my brain that, like, if I go home and I turn on my TV. And, you know, things are on. Uh, like, there's some part of me that thinks, well, somebody's operating something out there. Right. <laughs> the world <laughs> hasn't blown up yet. Right. There's yeah. a guy, you know, making a decision in a booth. Yeah. You know, he's putting this on. Thanks for running this film, pal. We went to Hawaii. My family went to Hawaii in August. Yeah. And they had an Apple TV in the hotel. And I hooked up, like, my MLB package to it. I was watching the Red Sox games. Um, was able to watch, like... HBO, so it's I crazy, got to see the right? Game of Thrones. Yeah. I, it was basically like my show, the Mayweather fight. There was a Showtime app. I was able to get that. And it was like my life didn't really change. And I was in Hawaii, like yeah. six hours behind everybody. And that's it just made me think like, God damn, I don't know where all this is going. My wife can listen to not only my podcast, but yours in the car. And I've I've gone and she has a Tesla. Yeah. And I've gone in there and your podcast has been, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> She's like, oh, I like, he just, you should get better guests. He has good guests sometimes. <laughs> and it turns into that. <laughs> You've been in the, Kyle's been in there for that. I'm like, what the fuck? Where's my podcast? <laughs> Why, doesn't and, she hear you enough? Well, that's, that was part of her argument. But yeah. then I stepped it up with the guests the last six months. So now I've kind of won, won her back oh, from good. you a little bit. Oh, really? So, now, it's right, good. now you might have to respond. You got to make a move. I got to do something. I've got to book a big guest. I mean, I had Jake Gyllenhaal two weeks ago. It was like the most impressed I think she's ever been well, that's by a me. Good one. How was that? How was he? I got to say, I would, I would, it's funny now we're recommending guests. I would, I would recommend Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. He was, he was great. He was ready to go. Love talking about it. I like the ones where they, they just go all in on like, here, the, here's why I made this choice. Here's, here's what I yeah. learned from this movie. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, I'm always fascinated by that because I always approach it like, yeah, this person's a resource. Right. What can I learn from this person while they're here? You know? I thought we had him booked and then it went away. Or you know, But now like- I'm I told pretend. him, I was like, you do mayor and I'm out. We, I used to do that with Nerdist. <laughs> you did? Sure. You, yeah. power, you did the Jay Leno on them? Not really That's the Jay, Jay Leno, Leno used to do but to we, used to, we just would space them out. 
Like, you know, I, it wouldn't be, you know, his or me to do one or the other. Right. But it was like, well, if he got him first, then, you know, we'd have to space it out. It's a then little sloppy seconds yeah, but yeah. it's but not really because like I don't know how many listeners we share. That ultimately became it. It's right. like, and then the ones that we do share, they liked hearing you you know both of our experience with them. We do different interviews. Have you been rattled by a guest ever? Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm rattled in the sense that that like I don't know how it's going to go, or it might not be going well to begin with, or you, you know like I didn't. You make assumptions about how something's going to go and they, you know, you trust, they're, they either trust you or they don't. And you sort of trust that they know why they're there. But a lot of times that doesn't equal flowing conversation. Right. It's almost like improv. Yeah. I never did improv, but I can imagine if, if if the trust isn't there, you're screwed. Well, like Neil Young comes in and like, I, I knew from when he came into the house that he liked me. He told me. He brought his little 70 plus year old posse, you know, and he was looking around my house and he's like, I like this guy. I'm like, well, that's good. But I didn't know he was notoriously hard on interviewers and I didn't do that kind of research. I thought we were going to talk about amps and stuff. And I got an amp that like he, he, like he uses and I bring him out there and I'm like, you probably recognize that amp. He's like, nah, I don't think so. And I'm like, oh no. Oh no, here we go. So like, you know, like he wasn't being mean. He was just sort of going to make me work for it, whatever was going to happen there. And I don't know, we got going. You know, I got him laughing and got him talking about bullshit and it was fine. It was great. I don't know, like a lot of my interviews, they're not really interviews. I I don't like calling them interviews because sometimes they're like- Conversations. Yeah. Well, it's just sort of like, I don't know what, you know, we ended up talking about stuff, but he also was talking about how he's doing Pilates and, you know, whatever. And you must know, like, if the guest doesn't give him much, then you kind of go into comedy mode a little bit more. Well, sometimes you start people, carrying it. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll overcompensate. Yeah. 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 They become an audience. It's not that they're not giving much because they're being, you know, cagey or something. Some people just don't talk that much. Like, I, you know, they're, they're not used to doing an hour. You know, it's not it's not a common thing. I don't you feel like the guests have a better sense now that they know what they're in for. They do, yeah. I feel like the last two years, I, that that's changed for me. Sure, but, but two thousand nine through twelve, the uh-huh. people be like, oh wow, we're, we're going for more than fifteen minutes, and I'd be like, yeah, it's a podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what no, we do. And now, like, they do they come? Like, I know a lot of people may not listen to mine regularly, but I know that some. Publicists say like you should yes. listen to a couple, so they'll come in and be like, "Oh yeah, I listen, I listen." Yeah, to the, yeah. They, and they're like, oh, would you? and then they'll, they'll tell me they'll mention two, and I know that like that's the only two that they listen. Or they to. listen to like two just to scout you, sure. Almost like in sports to make sure they yeah yeah had like, a sense of where they, it was going. and a lot of them are like, "No, listen to the Obama, yeah, Obama here, <laughs> right. yeah." Like that definitely was uh, uh, that's that's gotten me a few guests. I think hey, if Obama did it. Yeah, I can go do it. Yeah, yeah, and you caught him at a nice time too. I yeah, had when he him, was still president. <laughs> I had him uh, in 08 and ESPN yeah. blocked it, which what do you mean? almost caused me to quit. They Spring of 08. It. Yeah, because it was like past the point of equal time and all that stuff. Mm. And, uh, and you know, I, I took it really personally because I'd only had the podcast for a year, but podcasts were just this nothing format for years and had no real equity at all. And then it was like, this guy might be president. He wants to come do a podcast. Yeah. So I ended up getting him in 2012 for like 20 minutes and we taped it. Right. The one you did, the one you did with him, you had him for like an hour. You talked about basketball and stuff, right? I did. He, cause that was the thing. He just wanted to talk sports because I come in, I'm sports guy Uh and he gets to Right. Because he loves sports. Yeah. And it's a side of him. Be loose and have yeah. fun. Yeah. Any decision he makes with an interview is is going to be for a reason, right? He comes on yours. He's like, I'm going to 
I'm going to go deep. Yeah, he went gonna, pretty deep, and yeah. you know, he said he did it to get people involved. Right. Yeah, you know, just in politics in general. Right. That was like that was his drive. It was he, good. It was he exciting. probably should have started making that move a couple years earlier. Well, I think I think there's only so much you can do. It's a hard yeah, sell. I, I mean, I I think that ultimately this this administration is going to activate more people. True. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know whether to blame him or not for that. That the the future of the Democratic Party is something he probably should have cared about more in mm. retrospect. You know. I think if he had known the possibilities, maybe around fourteen, yeah, he probably would have started grooming people and pushing people and yeah, maybe. I bet he would have done that differently. If it's if it's his job to do that, is it? I, I mean, you know, know, he is a standard bearer, but I mean, right. I don't know that it's his job to you know get a get a bench going. I mean, that's sort of the DNC's job, and somebody should. Yeah, you, and also it's relative. I don't know. To is desire. it his job though? Is his job is to worry about the future of the country, right? Future of the country, the future of the party, sure. But like, I think he's, you know, when he's in the the presidency, right? You would think that the the machine in place was supposed to sort of, you know, find, you know, the field. And like, I don't know what the field is. But he must have known the DNC was a disaster. He must have dealt with them and gone, oh man, yeah, what's going on over there? I think that the the the, there does seem to be a disconnect sometimes between you know the president and the the apparatus. Yeah, yeah. What was the most rattled you've been by a guest fame because oh, I, well, I have a story for this but i'm interested to hear what your story is well it's all it's all personal you know right like my heroes you know like keith richards i was pretty rattled oh wow you know and That's we a good one. and i did it in new york and i was you know do, it was a road one and i you know i'm a huge fan and i was completely beside myself and you know how was, coherent was he he's very coherent he's a little loopy his he's, book was excellent Oh, dude, he's, he's really a very smart. Yeah, when I read that book, I'm like, boy, like, Holy we've fuck. all been fooled. Yeah. This guy's like, a, you know, intelligent, deep, thoughtful, intellectual guy. Yeah, by the time I got him, it was funny because we were at uh, NPR Studios in New York City. And we were just picking up. We we're going to, I was there. This is my only window to do it. Yeah. And he was doing morning di- edition. And then they were going to let me piggyback in the studio on the, after that. So we go to NPR and- uh, it was just funny. We're waiting. We're in the room, the waiting room, and I meet Keith's people, and they show me like you know he he has a green room request even for a daytime, you know, oh, radio interview. Great. Well, it's just like it's just orange soda, like orange crush and vodka, little vodka and blood. Me, me, can and, can right. I have some blood? Yeah, yeah. Do you have any he must blood have done back that there? Before he left the house, <laughs> but it was just it was orange soda and and, and vodka, and uh, so I knew that's that's what he's going. That's what he's up to. And uh, that about, should be called the Keith Richards. It now. should be the orange I, soda and vodka. That should be called the You're Keith. You're absolutely right. He should have a drink named after him. He, definitely. Yeah. But uh, so, so we're in there. We're waiting to, until he's done in there. And some woman's running around the office going, he's smoking a cigarette. He's smoking a cigarette. What do we do? Oh God. There's nothing you can you do. Just let him Keith do it. Richards. Yeah. But it was cool, man. Cause like I went in there and he, you know, he was kind of juiced and he was, uh, he was, he oh. was, he was funny. It was funny. I had him laughing. Uh, and I smoked my first cigarette in 10 years with him. Oh, you came out of a smoking retirement? Yeah, because yeah, he threw a cigarette at me because I was playing with one. I told him, let me have one, just play with it. I knew I wasn't going to start again because I was doing the the lozenges. So I didn't feel like I was going to start smoking it. But I thought if I'm going to smoke a cigarette, it should be with Keith. How many cigarettes? What was your cigarette stretch? Age 15? Yeah, 14, 15. To, All the uh, way to when? To uh, like with intermittent... Periods of quitting. I think I really quit for good uh, in like 99. 
63, 93, you know, 36. And then I was on lozenges for like a decade. And I never, just got off Never of stumble at like a wedding after eight drinks? No, I no? had one when my divorce was finalized. But again, like <laughs> <laughs> my second divorce, <laughs> I had one then. Uh, but, uh, but no, you know, I was doing those nicotine lozenges for years and I loved them. And I just gave them up about six weeks ago. So I got nothing. I'm I have a story about- Feeling my feelings. It's horrible. So I had Charlize Theron. Oh my God. Here two months ago, sitting right there. And it was the only time I've ever been nervous at the start of a podcast. Cause she was so, she's so cool and she's yeah. just so stunning. And yeah. like, we had a couple of people in the office. All of us were just like zombies. And then wow. I had to start the podcast and she just sits, she crosses her legs, she sits back and she's just kind of sizing everyone up. And I'm like, so, and I just had nervous energy and yeah. I hadn't had that in like eight years. Cause I, it was like, I'm sure she does that. She's so oh. used to seeing men just Every turn day. all gooey in front of her. Every day. Look and, another but, nervous man trying to talk to me. But she was, <laughs> but she was awesome though. Yeah. I would recommend. She seems sharp. I'd I would like recommend to talk her to her as a guest. Yeah. I, I don't. Hmm, who have I had lately that made me nervous? I always get nervous, to be honest with you. Really? Unless I know the dude, you know, or the woman. I do I do generally, like, I'm like, I don't know. Do you do an hour? I usually go like an hour, 15, hour 20. Right. So Because the best part of the pot is usually the last 30 right, minutes. Because yeah, for some reason. They, they loosen up. Yeah, the they, they get they a little break punchy. Break them down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they lose the will to live. Well, they forget that they're on mic. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you want them. That's yeah. when they start saying no, stuff. No, definitely. Yeah. The last third. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I always get a little nervous because sometimes you're like, does this person even talk? Right. You don't know? No. If they're going to talk for an hour and a half, who knows how that's going to go? I've, I'm pretty careful with you, who, who we vet? book. No, it's it's more like, I got to say, like a gut feeling. Like uh. Uh, I remember they offered us a couple of Fast and Furious 8 people. Oh, yeah? And they sent us a list. Who are those people? Well, it was like basically everybody. And the, the actors, and I was like, actors can be tricky. Well, I saw Kurt Russell and I was like, yes. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. There's history there. Kurt Russell, yeah. of course. That'd be great. So we taped with him. It was like 10 a.m. And he comes in. He, he's Kurt Russell, famous yeah, movie star. Sure. Smelled like he just had a smoke. He's holding the coffee. It was like everything I wanted from yeah. Kurt Russell. It was yeah. like, yeah, this yeah. is it. Comes in. Big Hang talked about his career. We went through his IMDb, went through his movies, and he was just fucking Kurt Russell. It was great. Oh, but, I'm sure he was thrilled. Yeah, he loved it. Yeah. We talk about Escape from New York. Oh, and yeah. All, all these Did old movies. The Kill 80s Sunrise? Oh, of course. I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. He loved it. It was great. But uh, but though, you, sometimes you just kind of know. It was like, of course, Kurt Russell is going to be good at a podcast. Well, yeah, especially if you're if they're willing and, you know, there's, the, there's a whole generation of artists that – don't get the respect that they used to or that they oh, deserve. Yeah. So, like, if you give it to them, they're like, yeah. Yeah. That's like, you know. And then there's other people, like, I've had musicians, though, primarily, where, like, I had Roger uh, Waters, right? Oh. Yeah. But he comes in, he, and he's like, I don't want to talk about the past. <laughs> okay. <'Cause a> <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Right. A lot of them think they're doing their best work now. And that's like, well, that's great, but yeah. you don't want to talk about Pink Floyd? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> guy in Pink Floyd. And uh, then you got to figure out how to get him there. So that that becomes sort of this challenge where you kind of like, okay, and talk a bit. And you're like, but that sounds a little bit like that other record. Like you try to sneak it in so you go down the rabbit hole, you know, and they don't know they're down there. 
It's good. The it's only one you the only one you've done that I was genuinely jealous and enraged about was Springsteen. Because well, I'm should be. Springsteen generation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I am too, I think. That was I no? think the yeah. second concert I ever went to. Oh, yeah. And I've just been with him the whole time. And uh and you caught him at a really cool point of his career when he was starting to talk about stuff yeah. and be honest about stuff and revealing things that yeah. I'm very we didn't happy. really know about. I'm very How happy. long did you go with that one? We had tight hour. So Ugh. Because that could have been it was okay though. You would have been like, Bruce, you play for three and a half hours. You can't go right. You can't but go an hour and a half. The good thing about him that thing was is like I respect the guy, but I'm not a lunatic. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm a lunatic for Keith Richards, and you can hear it in that podcast. Yeah. I'm just this, You're this like fanboy. a fanboy. But with Bruce, it was like I respect the guy, but like, you know, I'm not you know, it, you know, I don't go, you know, he didn't define my adolescence. Yeah. So and I read most of the book before I got there, which was helpful. And I didn't like the the thing about Bruce is that his public persona is pretty cool. Like it seems real. He's managed it incredibly over the years. It well, does seem one hundred percent genuine, right? He's like, "Hey, man, you know, it's uh, everything's good," and I'm just yeah. you know, so sticking he's his, sticking his jaw. Yeah, I'll get that looks pretty good. You're yeah. a good guy, but uh, <laughs> but underneath that, there's just this teeming darkness and yeah. anger and everything else which I relate to. So I didn't know if I was going to get there, but we got there and it was, it was great. And I'm the only thing I'm happy about, well, I'm happy. I, I, I look back at that as a great experience. Yeah. And it would have been different if I was a big fan in the sense of being fanatic. No, I, you're a respectful like, fan, but not a maniac. Exactly. Fan. But like, I've talked to several old timey Bruce Springsteen fans. They're like, that's the best interview. We love that. Interview. Oh, that. So it helped that you were a little detached. Definitely. Because with me, I, I would have gone too deep. I would have been like- uh, Well, you would have got hung up in the music. I would have gotten hung up in the music and also the stories that he used to tell in the 70s about, uh, you know, I got in a motorcycle accident. Right. And my, and my dad, and the, you know, and, and he had this, stage, such a- comp Yeah, he would, yeah. when they released the uh, three CD live album in yeah. like 85, yeah. and they kept a couple of the stories in, mm. and it became clear this was like a guy, this was this damaged guy who's- yeah. Dad had really fucked him up, you know, really and, and fucked hated him up. his guitar and hated his long hair and yeah. was disappointed that he didn't go to Vietnam, kind but then kind of was happy that he didn't go to Vietnam. A little bit of a drunk. Yeah. And well, then he just- might've been a lot of bit of a drunk. We don't know. But. Well, in the book, he's pretty, yeah, he's yeah. definitely saucing it. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of like, and then they left him and his sister. Yeah. It was and tough, just moved man. to California. And then he started playing music and it, like his whole life fell into place. Which, he's so hard on himself. That's the one regret I have about that interview is that I really didn't identify that. Yeah. That, yeah, he's depressed. Yeah, he's, you know, he's got this chip on his shoulder and he feels most comfortable on stage and he's able, you know, and, and all this other stuff. But he's like, I think he's insanely hard on himself. Like he's a real perfectionist. You just like, because I just didn't put it together that that's part of that. That's part of that. You know what? Bad dad shit. Right. But you know what nailed that really well was the Defiant Ones documentary. Definitely. The Ivine part about Did you Bruce. read that book? Did you read Bruce's book? Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, the one from, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the new one. Yeah. Yeah. But the Ivine part yeah. and the thing about how he would just make them play the same thing over and over again, and over. Like, Give it to me again. Give it to me again. Yeah. Give it to me again. And uh, I don't know. That was cool because I don't think Bruce gets enough respect for being just a maniac with how. He put out his music. Too much. Maybe now he's Almost not the too same. too much. Yeah. Do you know? Because then like, if you think about it, the way that Born to Run comes together is that obsessiveness. Yeah. And it paid off. But like, at some point, you know, he just it just became him and his guitar right. for a few years there. 
Yeah. Or I'm just like, I'm just going to do folk music. Like Nebraska was like, he, he must have exhausted himself. Yeah. Of, He's of doing songs about serial killers. Right. But like, but there's no layers of sound that, you know, he's managing these mixes. Yeah. With all those dudes, he, he must have needed a little bit of a break. He knew, but he kept it dark. He kept it a little, you know, dense, but maybe he just needed a little break from the board. You haven't dipped into the whole like hip hop world with interviews. Have Not you? much. I listen to hip hop, but I, you know, I've tried, I've reached out, I think kind of half reached out or tried to get Kendrick. And I, you know, and there's people that I like. Kendrick's on my list too. Maybe yeah. we should just interview him together. Okay. Kendrick, if you're listening, we'll do we'll yeah, do it'd a, be an interesting thing. Do a three a you three man. Two white guys arguing over it. <laughs> who has to ask the next question. It'll be awesome. It'd be you know, great. How yeah. can you turn this down, Kendrick? You know, put, we'll put a beat behind two white guys clamoring <laughs> to ask you <laughs> a question. Well, Kendrick's like, he's such a unique guy. He probably would be like, oh yeah, okay. I'll do it. Like I think he's <laughs> he just kind of floats to whatever's cool. My current girlfriend is is very hip hop oriented. And like there are guys that I've listened to and I like you know, Kanye, Jay-Z, but they're pretty mainstream cats, yeah. you know, and, and I've, I've definitely listened to a lot of the records thoroughly at different yeah. points in my life. I've been listening to a lot more jazz now. And I, and yeah. I was able to interview uh, Kamasi Washington, which is who, who works with Kendrick yeah. uh, a bit. He's a big jazz guy, a sax guy. And I, and I got, I got, I've been sort of getting into that lately. I like talking about jazz. Have you had Kimmel on? Kimmel? Yeah. Yeah. Long time ago. I went to a, and interviewed him. I'm doing his show next week, I think. Oh, good. Yeah. He's uh, he's had an unexpected career kind of has gone in this direction. I don't think anyone would have expected. Well, I I think it, it's because it's coming from his gut. It's very it, it's not a I don't think it's a career decision. I think he's it's a hundred percent not. Yeah. I think it's he had this thing happen to him and, with his kid. Yeah. And, and then this thing with Vegas. His, yeah. Yeah, this personal stuff. And that, you know, it just kind of it, 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 he's trying to be a common sense guy. Right. And and applying that to people's needs and what politics is supposed to do. Which and, the cool thing about it is this was, this was always why Letterman was indispensable even after he had lost interest of his sh in, in his day-to-day -day show, yeah. which really was the last 20 years of the show. But, <laughs> um, but got, every once in a while you needed him. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy that Jimmy filled the void. I'm a Letterman's like one of my all time dudes. But, oh, me too, man. But he just, you know, he, oh. he checked out after once Leno passed him, that was it. I guess so. I felt like after the heart surgery, he kind of, you know, became yeah, I mean, a different guy. Yeah, I agree. Like he became softer and less give a shit. Like the, there's a fine line between, you know, there was the checking out, but then there was a little later, there was the, I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. And that was good. Yes. You know, so there was a sort of renaissance of Letterman not giving a shit. Right. You know, which is better than checking out. Yeah, nothing right? was like that show in the 80s, though. I mean, when you were oh, an yeah. up-and-coming comic, that yeah. must have been your dream, right, Letterman? I did it. Yeah. I did it five, four or five times. They, was the that the, because if it had been 10 years earlier, it would have been Carson, but I think it shifted to Letterman probably by mid-80s, I would guess. Oh, yeah, no, I was, you know, I, I wasn't going to get Carson. And I don't know, I watched Letterman from the beginning, and, I, and when I was in college, I loved him. And, uh, yeah, that was the grail. And I didn't know if it was going to happen for me, but my first Letterman, that was a very exciting day. Me and my shiny suit. Bought a new suit that I look at. I've made some bad clothing decisions over the years. I look Especially at, the 80s. Oh, man. It was, a, it was a Calvin Klein suit, but it was shiny. And my hair was all short. And I was, I was like time traveling. I, my set was so tight. That first set, you watch it. It's like a great set. But you don't get a sense of who I am. But yeah. I deliver everything perfectly. I'm like, I don't need a mic. Because you, you look at old 
old days, you don't need mics in a TV studio. Yeah. Anyone who's holding a mic, they're doing it because it makes them comfortable. If you ever see a mic stand on one of those shows, it's like, that. it's just because that guy is used to it. You just go out with your hands. Right. And I, I, that was so great. You're waiting with Biff behind the curtain and he'd go out there. Every one of those appearances, I think I did three stand-ups and one panel. The panel was like, and I got in the panel under the wire before he retired. And, and it was, it was a, it was the greatest experience of my life as a comic. Cause yeah, he was a, did you do the Dangerfield special or no? No, no. That I, was another one that became a thing. In the that was like the Young Comedian special. Yeah, the Young Comedian. Yeah, no, yeah. that was before my time. I, I didn't really start. I started doing TV pretty soon after I started, like a couple years in. But it was those basic cable shows. Evening at the Improv, Caroline's Comedy Hour. MTV did a few. MTV uh, half-hour comedy or something. I did a, a half-hour HBO special in 95. But there was always a lot of those comedy I remember that. I road. used to love those. Yeah. I, they were cranking those out for a couple they of years. They were. They were always a half-hour. Yeah. I remember... That was my favorite Janine Garofalo ever. I'd shot with her yeah. that she, week. That was like the best half hour she yeah. ever did. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, we did it the same week. It was weird. It was me, Dana Gould, Garofalo, uh, Mencia, uh, Dana, uh, I already said Dana Gould, Bobcat on sort of his oh, wow. revival, you know, short-haired Bobcat, not too weird Bobcat. Bobcat. Got not too weird Where Bobcat. Where do you see stand-up comedy going? It's great right now. Where does it always go? I don't know. You know. It's one of those things that it's like stand-up comedy and roasts are just like cruise ships sailing through the ocean. They I don't never know. really a, get affected. There's a there's there's a big sort of there's a lot of people claiming to be comics now. There's a lot of outlets. Yeah. There's a lot of comic produced shows. There's a lot of alternative venues. But yeah, but ultimately, you know, the people that put in the work and and put in the time and pay their dues. There's a lot of great comics out there, and you know they're. You know, sometimes there's something that never changes, but there's something that always changes about stand-up, you know? There, there, there's certain archetypes that kind of fall into place every generation, but yet, and there's, you know, there's certain oddballs, but to do the job and to do it well, it's, it's a rare thing. And there's a lot of uh, good fucking comics out there. So in sports, we always talk about who's the GOAT, who's the best ever. Oh, yeah? Compare this guy to that in, guy. In each sport? In each sport. Definitely yeah. like football quarterbacks, basketball players, just in general. It can't um, you just running is, backs. Isn't that quantifiably determinable though? By it is stats? and it isn't because you're comp you're comparing like Michael Jordan to Bill Russell to LeBron James, and they're in three different eras. LeBron, the science and technology now he can play twenty years. Jordan played basically thirteen. Right. Russell was gone in thirteen, and so it's and tough. there's stylistic elements. The styles are different. There's also like people who invented things. True. And now, like, everybody shoots three-pointers. Back yeah. in, like, Bill Russell's day, it was very center-driven, stuff like that. Who do you think is there? Do you think there's a goat of stand-up? Like, uh, like the, the, everyone oh, the kind of agrees ever. that's the Michael Jordan of stand-up? Because it doesn't seem like there is. I would think that you could probably get consensus around Richard Pryor. Wow, okay. I, I really think that, you, you know, most comics would put it there. You know, uh, I would think... And, uh, but you know, it's still like, you can go further back. Like the guys that I loved to watch when I was a kid were guys like Buddy Hackett and Don Rickles and <laughs> Jackie Vernon. Yeah. You know, I liked watching those old roasts. Yeah. And then, you know, when I was in high school, I went to see the first, you know, Richard Pryor movie live in concert. And it was like, what? Yeah. There was so much humanity to it. There was so much real heart in it. You know, that was like, that was something that, you know, not only, you know, the voices, the jokes and the stories but he had his heart on the line and you could feel it and that was a new thing 
You know, I think it was a, a rare thing. Um, but you know, I liked Woody Allen. I liked, uh, I liked, had all the Carlin records, Cheech and Chong records, Steve Martin records. But I think that people would probably really, if you polled them of a certain generation that it, it would probably be Carlin. It seems I like, mean, uh, prior. like if there's championship belts being passed, yeah, most of the people who have held that belt would always point to prior. Yeah. Either influencing them Definitely. or he influenced the person. Or Carlin. Who, yeah. 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 I think that's true. Them. Yeah. I always thought when uh, when Pryor was on SNL, which I think was like the 10th episode, maybe it was the fourth. Mm-hmm. It was, no, it was the 10th. Um, and he goes on and that show is becoming a phenomenon. And he's almost like the network doesn't even want to have him on. Oh, yeah. And then he's on there. He does the head-to-head sketch with Chevy Chase. Yeah, with yeah, the yeah. racial slur yeah, that gets worse honky. and worse. And, yeah. Um, and the I samurai that, that had to be one of the most. Yeah, he does Samurai. Yeah. He does The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that has to be considered one of the most exciting hour and a half in the history of television. Yeah, yeah. He catches prior literally at the perfect point of his career in life. Yeah. On this show that is about to become this yeah. institution, but hasn't yet. Yeah. And it's just like they cross paths. Yeah. And then he's never on again. Yeah. We both interviewed Lauren. I mean, oh, your yeah. your interview was a lot different than mine. It was. Well, because you were more. You we had, had, some, I you get had some, some stuff to resolve with him. I had to get some closure <laughs> for the first 15 minutes. I was, he, did you get it? I did. He indulged me completely. Can you give the 15-second story for some people who don't know that story? I, I auditioned for SNL. God, what year? It was the same time Tracy Morgan did. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I was put through the, the, the whatever, you, what is that saying? Put through the- Put the, through the ringer? No. Uh, I jumped through the hoops. I, oh. I, I auditioned I, I, at a stand-up club. Then I auditioned in the studio. And the rumor was that they were looking for someone to replace Norm. You know, it was 95 or oh, something, yeah. whatever. And that maybe I'd get an update or like update guest or whatever. And then I, I got the meeting with Lauren, right? And and I, I was a little, I was probably a little buzzed. And I waited for a couple hours. It was me and Tracy Morgan, where I remember his hair was very shiny. His hair was like, Perfect fro, Tracy's was. Yeah. He looked so clean. And um, and I go in and, you know, there's this weird kind of like Lauren's looking at me. I'm a little cocky. I don't know what, you know, I'm supposed to be doing there. And Steve Higgins is there, yeah. the head writer. And there's a bowl of candy there that I remembered to be Jolly Ranchers. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, Lauren does this thing where it's like... Um, uh, like, look me in the eyes. You can tell a lot from someone's eyes, you know, like just weird shit like that. He's like, you know, then he goes off on this saying, like, uh, people go to the zoo, <laughs> you know, the lions are scary. The bears are intense, but the, the monkeys are the comedians. Everyone likes the monkeys because they're funny. And I said like, yeah, I guess it's, they're not throwing their shit at you, you know, something like that, trying to be clever or whatever. You didn't like that? And I don't remember really, but I remember taking a candy and then, like, he shot a look at Higgins, and I thought, like, I'd fail the candy test. Like, that, that in my mind, if I hadn't taken the candy, like, the, I, I put a lot of, of paranoia. So like you've I, thought about that Jolly Rancher yeah. ever since. Right. So that, and, and then, like, when I met Lauren, he said it would never have been a Jolly Rancher. You know, it was a Tootsie Roll. It's always a Tootsie Roll. And I'm like, okay. And, he goes, <laughs> and then, like, he said it had nothing to do with the candy. He said, like, oh, we've only got a certain number of spots. You didn't fit. Well, you know, he just gave me all the closure I could want. And then we talked about him for a while. And and he was very, it was nice. I, I ended, He ended up inviting me back. Like, I talked to him for an hour. He hadn't engaged me. He said, if you're still in town, come back tomorrow if you didn't get what you need. So I went back and did more with him. 
So it was pretty thorough. And I got the feeling that, you know, this is a guy, he's a, he produces a television show. He's been in that building for almost 40 years and he does it every week and he loves it. And that's his job. Like no matter how powerful or rich he is, he's still that guy wandering around those halls engaged in that job. He's a television producer. And he's not, he's not God. Right. <laughs> and an, an incredible judge of talent, which I think the yeah. producer part, but then also seems to have this uncanny ability to be oh, like, yeah. you see, oh, this the- person's going to go this way yeah. and I'm going to attach myself now. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I told him I was still available, you know, if, if the job opened up. No, Could you have written for a TV show like that? No, and no I didn't to want to be a writer. You never would have done that, right? No, I never wanted to be a writer. Would you have done show. it as like try to get in the door and then eventually try to be on? I didn't know how it worked. I just yeah. thought I would be on television. Yeah. I thought I would be on SNL somehow. You know, I, I thought that I would maybe have a shot at Update or at least one of those sidekicks. I didn't know how any of it worked. I didn't know how anything worked, Bill. Could you I, have pulled I, off I, Update? At that time? 96? 95, 96. I don't know if I would have had it together enough. Yeah. I probably could have pulled it off. I, I probably would have done it. What kind I of demons wouldn't have were been you, my best self. What kind of demons were you fighting in 1996? It wasn't so much demons. It was like just this constant sense of insecurity. Like, you know, am I funny enough? Am I good enough? Does my hair look right? Am I wearing right. the right pants? You know, whatever it was, it wasn't, I wasn't out of control drug-wise or booze-wise, yeah. but I was, you know, angry and defensive. And, you know, I had thought that that was my style, that like, this is how I am. And I think it was all defense mechanism. It was all insecurity. What's your biggest career regret? <laughs> my biggest career regret? Yeah, well, if you had one do-over, I'm giving you one do-over right now. Press reset button, you go back and do something over. What would you do? Oh, that's a good question. Thank you. Like I've gotten so much into the brain of not thinking about that stuff. You know what I mean? Because you're you're going forwards, not backwards. Well, there's nothing you can do about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I like in and in retrospect, I don't know that I was like I was driven by a certain amount of righteous spite. You know, because I was watching my peers succeed, and I never understood the business. Yeah. You know, I never understood. You know, like, you know, making friends. Yeah. You know, being a diplomatic politician in the business world. I just knew I wanted to be a stand-up. I knew that guy just got something. Why didn't I get it? Yeah. And I fought for a lot of stuff and I got a lot of opportunities, but I don't think I was really ready for any of it. Righteous Spite would have been a good name for the podcast. (laughs) If WTF was taken. (laughs) I don't think that's- Welcome to Righteous Spite with Mark Baird. I I feel that's not appealing to anybody. Righteous Spite, (laughs) bitterness, oddly not entertaining. I would say the internet is full of Righteous Spite right now. We're yeah, in the righteous yeah, fight era. It's, it's not. It, it doesn't feel good, dude. It doesn't feel good. No, it really doesn't feel good to be at the at the uh, the spite end of it. And ultimately, it doesn't feel good to 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 be that guy. I'm trying to think. You know what? What did I really blow? Like, I can't really blame the SNL thing on myself. Yeah. You know, um, maybe there's some girl you screwed up with. I don't know. Oh, you mean you yeah, could go thought, anything? I'm giving you a do over on anything. A do over on anything? Yeah. You don't have to take it. It's a big question. I don't know why I thought of it. I just came out of the Squarespace and. Oh my God. Like, I really, I, I really wonder like what, cause I, I feel like in my heart, there's things that I, I just kind of like blew. See, you, you seem like a much more at peace guy than I expected. Oh yeah. Yeah. Took a while. Yeah. I think I the lack of nicotine were... and the lack of coffee is helping me in this you area. You gave up coffee? 
I did because they went together. They always go together. So I've been drinking tea, black tea. So I have some caffeine in me, but not I'm not jammed. Interesting. Yeah, I just wrote a new joke about like I had to quit drinking coffee because it made my girlfriend cry. There's a couple <laughs> of steps in between. <laughs> it did exacerbate my emotions a bit. <laughs> when you're writing jokes, where do you go? It's a comedy store. You don't go to like a weird coffee place or like I don't really write like that. Like they usually I that came up on stage. I don't even yeah, I do I do almost all my writing in the moment. Like I write ideas down. Uh, my notebook's in the car. It, but, you know, what unfolds on stage, it's very rarely, you know, like structured jokes. Yeah. Like I just keep chipping away at an idea and then I kind of hone it and then I figure out where the timing is. Like I just did that special for Netflix. Yeah. And I I must be good at this, you know, because that's the weird thing about doing the podcast is a lot of people got to know me from that. Yeah. And they didn't know my stand-up. So now they, you know, like, and I've been doing stand up a long time and it's pretty solid right now. Like that, that thing I did for Netflix, a new one, too real. It's really the best thing I've ever done stand up wise, but I'm heading into that, you know, the week of taping, they want 70 minutes. They think that's the best amount of time. And I'm still at like an hour and a half. So I'm still at 90 minutes, 95 minutes. And like two shows before I got to tape it, I just cut it. And I figured out where things connected, where the callbacks were, how I wanted to end it, kind of. Yeah. Like, I, that was the thing about that is that, like, I used to go real loose to protect myself from failing. Like, you know, like, just like, uh, you know, it's good. just keep it loose, you know? Uh, and that way you just give them a lot, you know what I mean? And, but these last two specials have been very tight. And I was just amazed that I could trim it down in two days. And I had that moment where, like, I know how to do this. To trim down a half hour. Out of 90 minutes set. Yeah. And then like to get it in your head and not, you know, and to and get it, you know, as a conversation. So that's how I do my writing. I didn't know how I was going to end that special to the day of. I changed the ending the day of. Wow. Yeah. That makes it exciting. So I don't write at a coffee shop. I generally write on stage and I write impulsively. Do you think there's a right age for a stand-up to kind of peak with how they understand the tools of it? Or is it different for everybody? I know some people have a gimmick, you know, some people like, you know, get a, get a hang of it, you know, very quickly early on. And then it evolves, you know, I mean, once you learn how to make people laugh, however you do it, you know, then you kind of got that out of the way. Then you can go back and make them not laugh again. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, know you can make them laugh. You can grow however you're going to grow. I mean, I didn't really come into myself. It took like 20 years for it to really work out. I don't think I really let go of the fear until like five or six years ago. Just like totally trusted the process. Trust the process, not afraid, feel at home on stage. You know, writing writing comms and stuff, it's the same thing where at some point you hit a point where you go, this is due. (laughs) I haven't written it yet. I'm good at this. Yeah. I'm going to trust the process. I'm going to go to my place. I'm going to look at the blank Microsoft Word screen or whatever you're using and just... It, it's going to come. It's going to happen. brutal. It takes forever. I mean, some, for some people, sometimes if you don't, it's like, like sure I know that, I can get on stage and even if I've got nothing to say and I just dick off, I can be pretty entertained. Yeah, you can, you trust it. Uh, yeah. I always thought it's like, uh, like writing and I'm sure doing stand-up too. It's almost like playing golf where if you got to keep going out there. You can't. <laughs> you have to. You can't. I can't. You like, can't disappear from stand-up for a year and a half and I then can, just come back and turn it off. I right? can barely do two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's about the most I do. Like, I'll go out tonight. I go on the weekend. It's, just, it's like going to the gym, go to the comedy store. And now that I've, like, just finished that hour and a half, 
I've been doing about an hour a year, hour plus a year for the last, you know, forever. Got five, four or five CDs, three hour specials, one half hour special. I mean, you know, then it's, but I don't, I don't want to pressure myself anymore. Like I, like, I don't know how I got that. I never know where they come from, but they come. I was always amazed when, when Sarah was dating Jimmy. Yeah. And you'd be at Jimmy's house and yeah. Sarah would just get up and she'd leave at like 930. Like, where's she going? <laughs> She's going to do a 10 minute set. And then she'd be back an hour later. Yeah. And be like, you just went and did, yeah. entertained a whole bunch of people. That's what we do. Back. It was, but it was like, I'll be right back. I was like, she's going to get gas. Oh, what, I'll see she, you guys in a little bit. What that, was she? Did he live by the improv? Or where did he? No, no. Yeah, he lived. Well, this was when he was living like in uh, kind of Hollywood Hills, like Burbank-ish. Oh, yeah, right. So it was like 10 minutes down yeah, wherever yeah. she needed to go. Yeah. Just hop in the car and go. So a little bit of a drive for me, but I'd go. Just part of the job. Do you think, is it fair to say all stand-up comics have to be slightly damaged in some way? I don't know. I used to think that, but after talking to almost all of them, <laughs> I don't know if they're like necessarily damaged any more than other people. I, I do think they have a, a sensitivity or something. There is like, I don't know what compels somebody to, to, to like, I never thought I had a choice. I wanted to be a comic and that's what I was going to do. And then I was a comic. I didn't, I didn't have a plan B. I didn't think of anything else. That's what I was going to do. Yeah. Like what causes that stupidity? <laughs> I don't know. Right. But I don't know that they have to be damaged. I don't think that's necessarily true. One of the most famous pods you did was, was uh, Robin Williams. Yeah. Because he had this whole side that people yeah. people just knew him as, go on Letterman, and he's just this ball of energy the yeah. whole time. And then you actually went deep with him. Yeah. And people were like, whoa, that was in there? Like, that was almost yeah. like they didn't know. Yeah. No, but you should have known because some of them, yeah. Well, but some of the movie choices he made, he was clearly, you know, like Garp. Yeah. Hunting. Like he would make certain movies where he scaled it all the way back. Yeah. Show. Yeah. It was kind of interesting. That last bit of that interview, the, well, he had had some struggle with booze and drugs. Yeah. And then he had relapsed and then he, yeah. And then he had this other problem, you know, with the, uh, he had some sort of degenerative illness yeah. that he was looking down the barrel at. But yeah, I, that, that conversation, it seems to be one of the only ones with him of that ilk. Right. Because uh, it got a lot of play. I think it might be the only one. Yeah. If there's another one out there, I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And and it was a very odd day. It was interesting. Like he... um, And you confronted him on the joke stealing stuff? And yeah. All that stuff, yeah. Yeah. And he, he owned up to everything. And it was it was just... I think the only reason it happened the way it did was I was in his home. And there was no one there. Like, I mean, like... The thing is, like, if I was Robin Williams and it was me, you... But he saw that guy sitting there. It's he different. would need to make that guy laugh. What's his name? Nephew Kyle. What? Nephew Kyle. Like Robin would be talking to you, but he'd be thinking about making Nephew Kyle laugh. And that, that would consume him. It would just be what he'd be doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and so because there was no one else there, he didn't need to do that. I'm an easy audience, but he wasn't going to just, you know, you know, jump up and down for me for an hour. It's when we built the Grantland studio in 2012, which was basically a converted electrical closet. And I just had the people, we had to close the door. Like, even if they brought people, they yeah. couldn't go in. There just wasn't enough room. Yeah. It was just the two of us. I always felt like that was a huge advantage. Oh, yeah. Where it's just, it's me and you. They, they just kind of would let the guard down and go. Have you Versus done real radio? No, I don't think so. Well, no, 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 I mean just radio. Oh, real radio. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like. I thought you were, yeah, I thought you'd created some new station. Oh, no, no, no. Like when you, like if you got, like if you're doing a morning People show. behind the glass. Oh, yeah, behind yeah. the glass, you're going to go for it. Yeah. 
You got to get those guys. You got and that's you got to get real laughs from people behind glass because you can't hear them. Yeah. You got to see them buckle right. with laughter. Yeah, right. when I did morning radio, that was I was always looking behind that glass because you needed to like if he couldn't hear it, so you had to see him go over and start laughing. Tell me about your book. Yeah, you have it. No, you looked over there. No, nobody mailed it to me. No, I just looked at the time. Oh, what time is it? Three oh four. The book is uh, pretty amazing, really. And we had no idea it would be so amazing. It was a really smart idea. I was jealous of it. <laughs> you went through all your conversations. You're, you're, you got a you're book more jealous of, of me than I am of you. I like it. I <laughs> like it. I, I was told, just say, keep telling him you're jealous. It'll make the interview go great. No, no. You had a couple great ideas. A book of <laughs> a interviews. Jealousy, you know, then he qualifies it. Not a lot. It's a couple of things. I had things. to bring you back down. I didn't want you to be in the power seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I love that. I mean, Apatow did a book where he just went randomly and just interviewed all these people. I thought it was fantastic. So I'm excited yeah. to read yours too. The way the book came together is just, you know, the idea was we have this resource of these, you know, eight, 900 interviews. So it, it evolved into, you, we created a bunch of themes that we talk about a lot on the show. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, relationships, success, failure, addiction, spirituality, sexuality, you know, there's like a dozen or so. And we broke it into themes. And Brendan McDonald, who's, you know, a wizard, who's like, you know, like uh, he's more than half of why the show is great and why the book is certainly great, is that he's got this steel trap of a mind and he was able to kind of remember much better than me any of those conversations. That's amazing. I wish yeah. I had a Brendan McDonald. You need I'm a jealous Brendan. again. Yeah, you should be jealous of that one. <laughs> no, I mean, that's great. You've had yeah. that guy since day one. Dude, and when he's, it was so funny because, you know, he, for the first four or five years of the podcast, he was doing it on the side. You know, he was, he was producing television. He was a news wow. producer at MSNBC. Like, and then like, even when we started the the video thing, like I always request Brendan. I'm like, need Brendan, can't do without Brendan. So when we brought him back to Air America, he was, he had a big job at Sirius. He was moving up the chain. And I brought him back in to to produce this video show. And then we, when that hit the wall, I'm like, we got to do something else. But he had to work. You know, he's got family and stuff. But like a few years ago when he said to me, he said, I'm going to go full time with WTF. I'm like, dude, you don't have to do that. I don't want to. What if it doesn't work? Out? <laughs> you can just, just And But he knew he, he wasn't going to do anything he didn't uh, know was going to work out. And it certainly worked out. But anyways. So he organized. You have these 12 themes. Just grab just, different pieces of different interviews. Well, that's basically go. it. You yeah. know, is that. They're, they're all pieces from different interviews, about 150, 160 people in there. And uh, I wrote short chapters, you know, for the head of each theme. John Oliver wrote the, the foreword, the, uh, the intro to the book. And I read it and I was like, I couldn't believe I had these conversations. Like I, you know, because when you're in one, what do you really remember? If you're engaged, you're like, and I'm hyper-engaged. Yeah, I don't know where you're at right now, but you seem halfway I'm, I'm here. I'm engaged. You're I'm always here. engaged. I love doing this. All right. Yeah. But, uh, but like, I don't remember them. Do you remember your conversation? I'll go, I'll go further. Cause I had a two year stretch when I worked at ESPN where I had five jobs and I was working so hard that there's like this nine years, nine month stretch of podcasts that I looked through. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, have I had this problem going through? Yeah. There's some Wikipedia page. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't remember doing that. Yeah. Like, I don't remember that stretch of my life almost yeah. because I was so embedded. Like, yeah. Like, so, it's almost like PTSD. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, oh, I yeah. guess I did have I don't that. remember talking to that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, like that happened to me yesterday. Yeah. Like, I'm talking, who was I talking to? Uh, uh, Rob Hubel. And, uh, you know, he's bringing up people. And I'm like, oh, I think I talked to that him. Yeah, did I? Yeah, I talked to him. I talked to Jason Waldner. Uh, but 
but yeah, so, but what's really interesting about it is I think that people talk differently, obviously, than they write. So when you read transcriptions that are, you know, mildly cleaned up from us and O's and whatever's, yeah. is that the intensity of it, the intensity of it is immediate. So you read these things that people say, as opposed to, you know, writing, which, you know, you form, it goes in differently, I think. It, it has a very visceral I actually was, feeling. For years and years, I resisted doing transcripts of the pods because I always felt like to just grab a snippet of it, you lose, like, whether somebody was joking, you lose yeah. the tone, you lose right. the context of it. It always made me nervous. But then we started doing it the last two years. It's fine. Oh, yeah. It, it does read differently than it sounds, especially yeah. if you pull out the wrong piece. But right. for the most part, it's cool. And I think it, it adds a, to it. There's emotional immediacy to it. Yeah. And uh, it just really came together as a book. And it's a nice big book. And it's there's a lot of things discussed. And there's a lot of people represented in it. I think there's going to be like four of these. I think it'll be like <laughs> volume four. <laughs> we script the barrel with 12 more themes. <laughs> sodomy. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you just Who go knew? Through. So many people. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ten four. sodomy quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Conan O'Brien <laughs> on sodomy. That was not in the first book. No, I, I think, uh, I mean, 900 interviews. At about. least an hour each one. Yeah. It's a lot you, of stuff. You definitely there. have a lot of material. Yeah. Well, yeah, I wish I, tra you transcribe everything? Nah, we, we, we usually will tell somebody after, um, well, one of the great people that so works for us, like, hey, grab this one section uh, and write that part out. Oh, not see, the like, whole, like, not the whole interview. Like in retrospect, one of the things I regret, you know, not the big one, not the, the, not the biggest one, but like, it's like so many things are talked about. Yeah. You know, and if, if, you know, if, if I was you know able to be create, create a bigger operation, all the things to, like, it would be nice. And I think Brendan's sort of on top of it, but a lot of times people are like, what was that book you talked about? Cause like, I'll talk about books and movies and yeah. it would have been so easy just to have an index of shit for each show. You know, right. what was covered with your Amazon offer code. Well, yeah, but we never did that. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, that was the other, do you do that now. No, we don't do it either, but it was like free money. Wasn't it? Yeah, it seems like it. Corolla's been doing it forever. I know, forever. but he's the only one that does it. Who else yeah. does it? Well, Corolla do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he really will. Yeah, that was always a selling Corolla's point. 13 Corolla's different podcasts. It. Yeah, Corolla, Corolla can't be the role model. No, we never did that. And it seemed like it was an easy thing to do, but not just for the Amazon thing, just so as a resource. Yeah. Like, you know, like if, if people want to listen to things as an index, like what do you yeah. talk to that guy about? You Gladwell know? does it with revisionist history. He has each page for the pod has... A bunch of resource yeah. material. But, see, but now at this smart. point, to go back and do it would be an insane job. You'd have to hire someone to listen in eight hundred and fifty whatever. Listen, do not underestimate the young millennial workforce out there. The millennials get a bad rap, but I guarantee do there's it. a couple of millennials that would be like, "I want to work with Mark Maron. I'll go through." Every I just hire like done. five millennials hire and five break millennials. it up to like you know one hundred and twenty a piece. Pay whatever. them in nicotine lozenges. <laughs> They'll do it. <laughs> Mark Maron, this was uh, a lot of fun. I'm glad we did this. It was good. Did it now? Did you have to now. We have to do home and home. I have to come on yours at some point. Okay, that'd be yeah. good. And also, I have to. I now I got to think about like what would that pass be. Is that what you can you can finish it on on the on WTF pod? Yeah. All right. Or I'll tweet you. Did you when you did WTF? Did you expect that it would become also this acronym that's just constantly being texted back and forth with LOL and a couple of the other? I think it must have been in the, in the in the world. Must have been. Yeah, it was out there, but not like. Yeah, it probably was out there. I mean, like I certainly didn't invent that. No, I'm not saying you did, yeah. but it's it's a ubiquitous. Acronym, I just thought, and you got in early on. It's a great name. Well, my my concept was that like it seems to be the most important question, that that the philosophical question, you know, 
Yeah. That's that's it. You know? Norm MacDonald had the wait, what? That I was I always thought was a really good what one. What is that? Too. That's from his podcast? No, he when he did the uh I think he'd always done it in general, but then he when he had his sports show on Comedy Central, they had a whole section called Wait What? Oh. And the way oh, he did funny. it always made me laugh. Because I just did a, a joke on my special where I, I think that I want my if I'm gonna die, I want it to be quick and painless, and I kinda like my last yeah. words to be like, wait, what? <laughs> that it's over. Yeah. I think I'm with you. Mark Barron, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 